get it right up in there. Okay, we, we made it, dude. We made it. <laughs> we made it. I know, this whole production takes a race, race to the finish, but we're there. Yeah. You got it? Good to go. All right, you're good. Um, you grew up in Pasadena, right? Born and raised Pasadena, Sierra Madre. And you, let me see, when we met, it was through jujitsu. We met through jujitsu. We actually met through some of your competitors at the Gracie Nationals. Oh, really? Kirk Lines. Oh, it's Kirk. Well, and yeah, because Kirk <clears throat> was competing, and, and he and I were uh, in the same age bracket. And so we were hanging out hour after hour after hour in the bullpen. Remember how, how slow that day moved? Mm-hmm. And then he had the longest... He had the longest match that day. Oh, yeah. It was like the one, the close to one hour special. Yeah. Or, yeah, just shy of an hour. And I went over and I was <clears throat> I was shouting at him, and him and I had food in common. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's right, because he was a sh- No, he is a chef, I guess. He's, He's chef, still yeah. a chef. You were a chef, um, n- not practicing at this time. Not at this time. I, I left commercial kitchens, but I was a... I was Here, a, put that a little closer to you. But I was a... You can bring it to you. You can bring it to you. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I cooked professionally for 30 years. You you were cooking at some of the hot spots, like Spago's and Spago, Beverly Hills. Uh, Spago, Peninsula Beverly Hills, yeah. uh, Kitchen for Exploring Foods, Parkway Grill over in Pasadena. Yeah, I, I cooked in a lot of fun places. So locally, it was always local? All Los we, Angeles, yeah. Okay. So yeah, that, that, that happened to be the hot spot for... For a lot of those, I don't know, those executive type of, are, are these, are those even called executive like dining or fine dining? What, fine dining, what? you know, fine dining is what it is, is what that is, what that's called. How did you get into cooking? You know what? I was, I was very young. Uh, my, my parents are both extraordinary cooks. Uh, they both cook professionally to put themselves through their respective educations. Um, my mom had a small catering business when we were growing up. Uh, she threw, you know, threw me in a, you know, in a suit when I was when I was very young and had me bussing tables because what's cuter than a you know kid in a tuxedo <laughs> bussing tables? So she right? had her own ca- catering business. Yeah, she had a small catering business. You know, worked out of the church and you know ladies functions and and whatever. And you know, I just I happened to take an interest and I was one of these these kids that that I learned very young that I could manipulate flavor, texture, and and smell very easily. I could I could operate on that palate very very naturally. And, uh, you know, I was getting paid to cook by, by age nine. It was. Wow. So you, you were getting paid at nine. Yeah. Just yeah. for food and everything. And you're, you were already cooking. You weren't just busting tables. You were already. Yeah. I was doing preparation. I mean, it was mom. for my mom, but yeah, mm-hmm. by, you know, nine, 10, 11, I was making, you know, you know, meatballs and, and assembling lasagnas for, for two and 300 at a pop. And, and I, I just fell in love. I fell in love very, very young. Now, did you go to any formal training? After I'd been cooking professionally about 15 years, I went to Le Cordon Bleu in Pasadena in 2001 okay. and graduated through there. And it was through there that, uh, that I got my job at Spago. I showed up to, to work one day, and, or I showed up at school one day, and my instructor told me that, that the next day I needed to, to leave class half an hour early and bring an extra set of whites because I started at Spago the next day. Really? So they helped you find that job? I, you know, I didn't apply for that job. Uh-huh. I didn't interview for that job. I showed up. I worked a day, and that evening they offered me the job. And it was it was probably one of your instructors or it was my hot foods instructor, yeah. Oh, who, okay. Who set it up? Who said, you know, I, 
you know, basically called, you know, Thomas Boyce, who was the executive chef at the time, and said, I got a, I got a guy for you. Yeah, um, yeah, Chef Altieri. And she was, she was great. She was a, a she was a, a hot foods instructor, you know, right at the tail end of the program. And she just, you know, made the call and, and got me in there. It was, it was really great. Do you think you excelled at it because you loved it so much? And you, you pretty much, it sounds like you already had a background of knowing food combinations, spices and everything working with your mom. Right. No, I, that's, that's exactly what it's, you know, I was, I just, I had a natural affinity for it. You know, I was, you know, cooking all the way through high school and everything else. You know, you want to, you want to blow away your stoner buddies, ditch high school, right? <laughs> right. Go home, make lobster manicotti from scratch, like ricotta, pasta and all. You want to blow away a stoner, make cheese right in front of them. You know, you just made what? <laughs> you know, you made, no, I made cheese. You used to make cheese? Yeah, you I still do. You still make your, you make your own cheese? Yeah, I make all different kinds of Types of cheese. See, and here I am thinking I'm I'm the, the man because I just started brewing my own kombucha. Nice. Now I, I thought years ago my buddy, and it was, happened to be in Pasadena as well. But one of my buddies, because he saw me drinking kombucha, and uh, he's like, "Dude, you can make your own." And he, I was like, "Oh, really? That that sounds cool. That sounds cool." And he's like, "Yeah, you get a scoby." A what? A scoby? That's the bacteria, and that's where it ferments up, and blah, blah, A, B, C, D. He told me the process, and then I replied, or I could just go to the grocery store right? and buy it. It sounded, it sounded like too much of a hassle. However, fast forward years later, here I am. I've really grown attached to kombucha. The first time I ever tried I was, I was offended by the taste because I right. saw mango, and I'm thinking traditional mango iced tea because I love tea. I bring it back to the office. I pop it open. I drink it. It has that vinegar that fermented. Oh, holy hell. This thing was horrible. It was awful. So then years later, one of my jujitsu friends, he um, he's all, hey, let's run to the store. Let's grab some. I was like, all right, cool. And then he's shopping for kombuchas. He said, you ever try this? I'm like, I hate that stuff. I said, but you know what? It seems healthy. Let, let, me, let me go ahead and give it another shot. And sure enough, it, it worked out that time. So I think it was my mental. I was expecting there's an expectation. It's not going to taste like iced tea. It's going to have this fermented. Right. So now it's gotten to the point where it's like horseradish, which is another thing I came came uh, around on. Now I want it raw. I want I want the hardcore. Like I want to make my my face squint. You know. Right. Right. And I'm drinking so much of it that. I got as we speak right now. I have my first batch of kombucha brewing. It's like a gallon container, which is not going to last long. The wife, she's telling me, "Well, a gallon? That I mean, that's cool, but we're going to go through that." I'm like, "I know, but if this works out, we'll get another jar and we'll start brewing two gallons." But we're talking about a two-week fermentation cycle. You know, there's the initial, and then it goes to the flavoring, the secondary fermentation. Right. So. Yeah, well, we'll see how it works, but I mean... What's going to happen is you're going to end up nerding out and you're going to have like this crazy rotation and you're going to have, you know, two gallons at any given stage of the of the thing. Yeah. And, and what'll, what will be... what My experience was the day that, that one of the gallon jars exploded in a closet where I was doing the second fermentation. Oh, no. And I had to clean that up. 
Yeah, we started going back to the oh, store no. for the kombucha. <laughs> you know, it was it was a little much. For I've me. read I've read about that. It's like you got to be especially with glass bottles. They were saying that if you're you're a beginner, do it with plastic bottles. Um, but yeah, that's a great reminder. On the secondary fermentation is when all right. the the magic happens, right? So every day you just got to bleed them, right? Mm-hmm. Now your whole jar exploded. My oh. gallon jar exploded. It was gnarly. So so on that stage, like right now, I got a cheesecloth on top of it. So it's the secondary. You have to seal it. Yeah, I had it sealed it, and I hadn't put it in liter jars. I I I had a bunch of lock top jars mm-hmm. that I was gonna put it in. But I'm like, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do the secondary fermentation in this gallon jar. I sealed it up tight, you know, threw a rubber band on it. So and. Oh. Oh man, that's gonna be my worst nightmare. Two or three days later, it popped in the it popped in the closet. Oh, that's what the internet told me. It's about three days, like every three days, you wanna you wanna bleed it. Right. So I'm like, man, forget that. I'm gonna go every day. I don't want that happening. I don't want glass shards. You know all these explosives. But um, yeah, so that's a great reminder. Every day, bleed them a little. the The point is, is how you can enjoy the process. And making your cheese. I didn't know you made cheese. Yeah. Well, when I was real, real young, you know, somebody had had handed me, I was, you know, uh, uh, kind of an active kid. And somebody handed me this jar uh, and so told me to start shaking it, you know. And it was like, you know, it had like three inches of like like heavy cream in it. And I started mm-hmm. shaking it. And after a while, it stopped shaking. And they're like, yeah, you know, keep, keep shaking it. Started shaking it more and more and more and more, and finally it, it, it loosened up a little bit and it started going chunk 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 chunk, and you know I, I I took it and they opened it up and and poured off some of the liquid and down there at the bottom and they scooped some out and it was butter, I had just made butter. Really? Yeah, and it's just heavy cream. It's just that's it. It's a, you shake like churned cream. That's butter. And so now my like six year old mind went. Because because butter came in bricks, right? Butter came in blocks. Right, like that's right, right. butter comes in sticks. You know that's that's my understanding of butter. It comes wrapped in paper in the box. You know that's how butter comes. I didn't. What do you mean you can make butter? So as soon as I learned, okay, so you can make butter, comes the next immediate question is, well, if you can make butter, what else can you make? The answer was everything. I was in love. Like, like challenge accepted. Like, what do you, you can make literally everything. Like, S, everything you've ever eaten, you can make. Yeah, see, that that's us city folk. <laughs> you know, growing up in the city, you you were a little ahead of the curve. You had an advanced mind, obviously, because here, here we are speaking. I'm mid-40s, and wait, you make butter? You can make, it's like, it's so amazing to me. Right. Where people out there in Idaho are living in the dairy farm somewhere. And, oh, yeah, we make our own every day. Nothing right. big about that, you know. But um, And then the cheese, what kind of cheese? I make uh, ricotta. I've made uh, ricotta super easy. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How yeah. long does that take? I mean, 20 minutes. 20 minutes to make a 20 cheese? 20 minutes to make cheese, yeah. Really? Yeah. How about mozzarella? Same I've thing? I've made my own mozzarella. That's, that's a little bit longer of a process, but it's a lot of fun. You get the curds, uh-huh. and you get and you can make uh, you get some rennet, just just like making beer, and you create you know you 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 cook it down, you make the curds, and then in a you know in a bowl of warm water you start stretching it, and you make the and you make those strands like string cheese, 
you're you make it by stretching it and really it and stretching it and folding oh, it. Oh, dude, yeah. this is gonna be like a new thing. Oh, uh, <laughs> you're a you're a you're a YouTube DIYer. You will love it. Oh yeah, you. There, in fact, speaking of YouTube DIY, did you ever read the story? There was a, a story I saw. This woman, she was a mother of like I think she had three kids, two kids, something like that. But uh, she built her own house using YouTube instructionals. Oh, right. I saw that. People, all they really have to do, any problem, they just YouTube it at this point. Right. Because there's such a vast amount of videos, information that's been converted to video to where you can get a video instructional on virtually anything. So I fix my Mercedes. Every really? time there's something wrong with it, I just, I just YouTube it. Just, and fix it. I I change my own brakes. I do. I mean, like jack it up, rotors, drums, itolo. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. I, and then you go to Amazon. You you plug in the year model of your car, and then it'll tell you all the parts for that car. Yep. And oh man, it's so much easier than the old days of the chief auto parts. Remember chief auto parts? Oh yeah. And where you have to look through the book, find the fuse, like, and get all that the stuff. giant manual of of, right. of your car. Yeah. You know, and try and figure out how to the, how to the do Chiltons. It. Yeah, those Chiltons. Oh man, I remember I, every time I you know get a new car or a friend would get a car. Oh, you got to get a Chilton. So we get that Chilton manual, and then it was kind of cool looking at the illustrations and learning you know through that. But yeah, man, you, YouTube's a game changer. Game it changer. Really is. Technology's great, man. It's it's the answer. Oh, for sure. But going I'm back, I'm I'm gonna um, <laughs> I'm gonna YouTube how to make my own cheese. Yeah, and make my own pizza. Have you been trying cauliflower is really big right now? Cauliflower is big. Look, yeah, they're what, what's it? You know, the cauliflower pizza crust is the one that's that's making the rounds mm-hmm. on on the Facebooks right now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it seems like you're you're not feeling the cauliflower movement. You know, I there there's some there's something. If you can't eat it, don't eat it. Okay, like not every workaround is valid. Like I'm, I'm all about the zoodles. Like I get it. What's a zoodle? That's that's the zucchini, and you put it through like the spiralizer. Oh right, 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 right. Yeah, that's and so good. you get like zoodles. Okay. Like I, I get it. When I was doing, um, uh, I did raw vegan for a while. I, I, I took a, a ninety day raw vegan challenge, uh-huh. and you know I was just doing you know zoodles, and and I made my own little, you know my own little pesto and 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 stuff. You know raw vegan pesto, and you know and 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 I was into the zoodle. But if you can't eat it, then don't eat it. Don't look for a way. And this it's just it's just this man's opinion. If you can't eat it, then don't eat it. Don't look for like a a, a cauliflower way to go about eating it. Like don't you know, and, and it's funny because I was married to, you know, a woman who didn't eat sugar or flour. Okay. Um, you know, pescatarian, uh, which means she only ate fish. And no sugar and no flour. And, and so, I mean, I used to look for, like, her birthday and Valentine's Day and Mother's Day and stuff. I would, like, look for, like, cool, crazy workarounds so she could have desserts, you know, a couple times a year. And, uh, and made it and, and made something real special for her. But What were but, some of those alternatives, though? Like almond flour, right? Yeah. That's used, a, that's uh, well, she, yeah, it was, it was uh, I got into, I made, let's see, I made black bean chocolate cake. You know, where, where instead of there's no flowers, mm-hmm. it you know, you use black beans and cocoa powder and I used alternative sweeteners and it actually kinda came out great. It was Yeah. No, some some of the stuff like the I am I'm, I'm drinking the cauliflower Kool-Aid because I've always liked cauliflower mashed potatoes. And I like it because, you know, going back to jujitsu, 
and we have weight divisions. Mm-hmm. And I figure there are, I do look the other way. If, if there are little cheats that I can do and still indulge, like, man, I'm going to get a whole lot of flack for this, but I love veggie dogs. It's like, because <laughs> I love hot dogs. Like, you know, growing up, I would never go to a place to order a hot dog only because I only believe you can only eat minimum of four hot dogs at a time. It's like, well, right. So I'm not going to pay the price of a hamburger for one hot dog because I just eat too many of them. So fast forward into adult life. I'm like, wait a minute. They have veggie dogs? Oh, man. And I can just indulge and eat all the veggie dogs I want and not feel. I mean, it's still processed and all that. But again, it's one of those cheats. Right. To where... You know, and then the cauliflower pizza. My, um, I was in Atlanta. My, uh, one, my best friend, he made me some cauliflower pizza. It was amazing. It was, was it? And and then the California Pizza Kitchen offers it too. So I just love pizza. And if I can cut down a little bit on that bread, right, to hit some of my, you know, I, I have some uh, fitness goals I want to hit. And a lot of it is bread, man. Bread is just so good. So anytime I can cut it out, I feel like it's a little victory. For sure. For sure. I I I totally get it, you know, but uh, the the It feels wrong. It, yeah, I <laughs> it feels not wrong. a fan. I'm like just or, or just don't eat it, you know. Uh-huh. I I think it's because, you know, my 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 mom and and and, and God love her, you know, she she uh tried so many things and we we grew up pretty poor uh you know we didn't we didn't grow up with a lot of money and, and she was always trying to to make you know fancier food mm-hmm. uh with you know with, with what we had and and there were some there were some there were some pretty special nights and there were some pretty bummer spectacular nights. <laughs> failures oh no <laughs> what, some, what's one of them oh my god the the what was what was she trying to do? There, there wasn't much in the house, so she made mac and cheese uh, with and dumped a can of tuna in there for a little bit of extra protein, and then a, a couple like two cups of like of like whole wheat flour, just trying to like throw some you know bulk in it. There right. were six of us, you know, and and uh, it was tuna mac and cheese tuna and flour. mac and cheese with with whole Mixed. wheat flour. Oh, you could have spackled oh, wow. the walls with this stuff. I mean, it was, <laughs> right. it was, yeah, it was, it was wallpaper paste. It was rough. It was a rough, rough night. So, okay, so you're you're working, you're, you're doing well as a cook, right, and a, a chef, mm-hmm. and uh, so you're getting work, and you get to go to these pretty much uh, social elite type of restaurants, and then uh, at some point, it seems like the that high life, the high society kind of led you down a, a darker path, right? Right. I, you know, working in, working in, uh, in restaurants, uh, particularly young, um, I got involved with the stuff that people in restaurants are, are doing. And I got into, I got into, uh, drugs and alcohol pretty hard, uh, and had absolutely flamed out by 24. I mean, flamed out, uh, I, I was I was homeless for for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I had a terminal mm-hmm. cocaine addiction, uh, and absolutely could not stop drinking. I I, I spent yeah I spent a, a time homeless and 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 in 1999 
like I had absolutely, absolutely hit bottom. I was, I could not stop drinking. I could not stop uh, doing cocaine. I would not have survived 1999. And I, you know, with, with a full-time job, like, like, like with a, with, with a, a full-time job and a part-time job, mm-hmm. like totally homeless, couldn't keep it together. Like couldn't figure out how to not spend every dime on drugs and alcohol. So how did, at, at what point did you think, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go down this road. I'm going to try that. What, what, what made you even consider that lane? Oh, you know what? It was... Was it fun or no, was it you know stressful? What? I'd, been, I'd been fixing for a long time, you know? I'd been, I'd been fixing. You know, I, I, I didn't feel like other kids felt. I didn't, I didn't look the way other kids looked. I wasn't doing the stuff that other kids were doing. I, I always felt like, like my... my like my insides didn't match your outsides and I would look at your outsides and I would judge my insides and I, I, I couldn't I couldn't figure out how to like make lasting relationships. I couldn't figure out how to not be like in fear all the time. You know, and, and from a very young age I discovered you know, I discovered food. I found out that the food kinda of quieted, you know, ice cream, kinda of candy, sugar quieted that that part of my head I found you know later that nicotine and caffeine you know did the same things to some extent mm. you know I found I found girls and all sorts of proxies for girls you know as, as we're growing up you know and I, and I found that 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 turned the volume down on that stuff I you know thank God you know 14 15 years old I found alcohol and alcohol was just the most efficient thing and it allowed me it allowed me to feel just kind of normal you know it wasn't it wasn't about the party it wasn't about going crazy it wasn't about you know calm and stress for me it was about i would take a couple of drinks and finally feel like i fit in my own skin finally felt like like somewhere between 3 and 5 drinks like i was I was okay. I was just like everybody else. The problem is, is that that type of solution will only carry you so far. Consumption increases, your tolerance increases, that voice inside my head that, you know, told me I was a piece of crap and, you know, not, not good enough to be in the places I was in, not, you know, good enough to have, you know, friends and have people in my life have a future at some point that voice the 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 alcohol stopped turning the the volume down on that voice mm. and so now drunk or sober higher higher straight that's what was going on like that voice was going on and now i just had this other stuff to compete with now i couldn't i couldn't stop drinking i was drinking every day on the job i was doing cocaine every day on the job and i felt like a piece of shit all the time so backing up it started with alcohol in your teenage years, you yeah. were a mid-teenager. Yeah, I was a teenager. Yeah, and then, high school. Okay, and then it wasn't until you got introduced to the harder stuff, like the cocaine, until you were outside yeah, of Yeah, I was... It may have actually even been my 21st birthday that I got introduced to cocaine. Yeah, it may, you know... And you were already working. Oh, okay. and I, yeah, I was already working, okay. and I was already working. Very accessible. Yeah, it was accessible, and it was, it was, it was easy, and, you know, and... And nobody cared, you know, do your job. Mm-hmm. Do your, nobody cares, you know, P- 
put out the food, you know, make it right, make it nice. Uh, and, and nobody cares. You look, I, you know, you know, granted they're all bosses like, look, we, I don't want to see it. I don't want to know about it, but do whatever you got to do to make it right. And, you know, you come through the night solid. We're good. It got to the point where you said you were homeless. Right. So you were living at your car. And I was, you- I was living in a, a an old K5 Chevy Blazer. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they, they towed that away. Uh, and then I spent some time, I spent some time. Uh, <laughs> you were telling me, you told me about that. You worked the system. Like you parked it in a parking. Oh my garage. God. I parked that thing. I parked that thing. And you uh, did it all. That was by design. Yeah. I, it, design. Cause it was a big lifted K5 and, and you couldn't, and I, and I wedged it downstairs in a parking structure in Pasadena and they couldn't like lift it. They couldn't get it out. And they kept like night after night, they'd put, and I was sleeping in it. And they'd put like these notes on it. We're going to tow your car. We're going to tow your car. We're going to tow your car. I'm like, I dare you. I double <laughs> dog became, dare you. It became a challenge. Tow it, bitch. You know, you can't <laughs> lift this thing. You can't right. put it on a regular tow truck. You couldn't get a regular tow truck down into this parking garage anyway. What are, what are you going to do? And I, and, I, and I parked it right under one of the, the cement support beams. You know, so it had like take away even more inch other. clearance, you know, like what, what are you going to do? Uh, finally, one day they, they sprayed uh, like nitrogen on the, the U-joints and snapped the U-joints and just dragged it out. Is what really? They, uh, oh, so they, they, they broke down the, um, the U-joints on the car. Yeah. To lower it. Yeah. Well, you, well, to, well just to make it all freewheeled. Oh, okay. Just to okay. make it all free. Well, oh, and then they and, just and then then you know now it. now all the you know because I'd like locked it in four wheel drive and mm-hmm. you know like you couldn't it was just like this giant thing that you couldn't budge mm-hmm. and you couldn't lift and you couldn't do anything with. Now you weren't in the car. Right? No, no, no. They towed it when I was at work. You know, and I came back and and it was and it was gone. And I you know I asked the attendant. I'm like, so how'd they do it? And they go, yeah, they, they broke the U-joints. And the just, tenant knew you, oh, so yeah. you guys knew each other. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, because he, he kept <laughs> warning me, because they're, they're going to tow that thing sooner or later. They're going to figure it out. And I'm like, well, as soon as they figure it out, then I'll, I'll worry about it then. <sighs> you know, and, and, and so I asked him, like, how'd they do it? And he goes, yeah, they broke the U-joints, dropped the drive shaft out of it, and, and just dragged it out, just put it on a winch and just dragged it out. Wow. So, so all your belongings are in the car? Yeah, I mean, for, you know, what I had, you know, okay. it was a couple of bags of clothes and, you know, a bunch of... Bunch no TV of, set or PlayStation or no, anything? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, you know, no, that was not my jam. So now you're you're truly homeless now. Like, there goes... There went your home. Oh, yeah. So yeah, there, yeah. there are levels to this homeless game. Yeah, there's there's, there's levels. And, and then it was and then it was an alley in Pasadena. It was, it was an alley behind a dumpster. Mm-hmm. And that was... Uh, you know, I had a, I had a, I had a, a girl who, who put up with my crap, uh, on again, off again. Um, and, but there was, you know, I mean, and I, you know, I, I will, I will say this, I will say, I will qualify this. It was voluntary homeless. My parents lived in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't face them. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. I was, I was ashamed of myself. I was ashamed of my situation. I was ashamed that, that I had, I had come this far. Uh, I, I felt like a, a, a loser and a, and, a, and a total disappointment to them. So, I mean, I, I'll, I'll even say, you know, I, it, was, it was total, vo- at any moment I could have gone home mm-hmm. and, you know, and kind of squared thing was, things with mom and pops. I just, my, my, my ego wouldn't let me do it. My pride wouldn't let me do it. Like, I, 
I couldn't do it. So, I mean, yes, I was homeless, but, you know, that's kind of, you know, saying that, you know, is, is kind of romantic. Is kind of romanticizing my actual situation. I was okay. voluntarily homeless. Okay. You know, I mean, and it was, which was just as miserable. I mean, I was, I was sick. I was isolated. I was, I was. Uh, you were in your own personal hell I mentally was, yeah. as well. That's that what was going on. Inhibited you from that the shelter of loved ones, and I'm sure you had friends that, you know, you didn't want to be a burden to as well. So there is an emotional responsibility in hell to deal and cope with for that. sure for sure yeah no my friends were just you know were like like watched my slide and just couldn't couldn't believe it you know and and you know just and every time they were like oh look this guy's got to like figure this out sooner or later and then i you know i would just take another i would just take another dive and it would just get worse mm-hmm. you know and 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 by 24 it was it was all over so you're homeless, you're sleeping in an alley, you're living behind a dumpster. Right. At what point does it kind of kick in for you? You know what? I got, I got tricked. I got tricked is what happened. <laughs> I got tricked. Uh, the day that I got sober, <clears throat> July 25th, 1999, the day I got sober uh, was, was like, the di- like the day before was not like the worst day you know, of my life. It wasn't like, you know, this, and then I hit this dramatic bottom and had this amazing realization and realized that there was so much more to life and, you know, I needed help or whatever. Like, that's not my story. Uh, what happened was, you know, I was, you know, drinking, you know, drinking out of, out of dumpsters and somebody pointed up into a, a, a up some stairs, uh, up a back alley. And they said, you know, if, if you go in there, they got, uh, free donuts and coffee. I'm like, well, well, what do they got going on in there? And I said, it's an AA meeting. And I said, what's AA? And they said, yeah, I don't even worry about that. Just go get some donuts. Go get some donuts, you know? And, <laughs> and so I was a homeless guy with a hustle. Mm-hmm. And I found out in that, in that first meeting that, you know, that, that if I, if I, I raised my hand and, and said my name and, there was all the coffee, cigarettes, and donuts that I could eat, and that and I got introduced to twelve step recovery um, that day, and it was it was a little while before I, you know, I was kind of on board with it. I I like I said, I was a homeless guy with a hustle, so you know whatever whatever they were doing, you know, I was just trying to walk and talk like a duck real quick, trying to mm-hmm. figure out what was going on. You know, they I you know my biggest fear is that they were going to find out that I wasn't. I wasn't like them. You were just, yeah, there for the donuts, and I'm better than you guys. Right, right, right. You know, and they saw me coming a mile off, and they were kind as hell to me. You know, they were really, really kind, and they they allowed me to believe that I was getting over on them, and they, you know, kind of turned away as I'm, like, hoarding donuts and and hostess fruit pies, and, and, you know, they gave me kind of a safe place to detox and, and... and I, and I went through some real, real dark days in those in those early days. You know, I if you have if you've never experienced uh, unsupervised, unmedicated, acute alcoholic detox, yeah, I highly recommend it, man. I mean, there is nothing that will give you an appreciation uh, for the life you currently have quite like it. I I seized and I shook and I hallucinated and I vomited for days and days and days and days. It was, really? It was gnarly. So, so your body was calling for that alcohol. For oh, that alcoholic detox will kill you. I mean, you're, you seize, your heart stops. Heroin and shit, they, they lock in a rubber room, let you bounce off the walls. Like they, you know, 
heroin detox won't kill you. You'll wish you were dead. Mm-hmm. No, but it's all the it's all the 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 alcohol, the the you know Suboxone and Subutex and all those. You, you'll die. Like it, you do not, you know, you do not just stop. You know, when once you've cross certain thresholds with that you don't just stop drinking cold turkey hmm. and get to keep your heartbeat man it just it doesn't work you know what what happened was is i was getting you know getting over on these guys quote unquote and i was eating all these hostess fruit pies they get this big basket of hostess fruit pies you know full from the food bank or whatever and i was eating these things hand over fist Right, and because I could just hang out there all day, there was always coffee. There was always somewhere I could bum a cigarette from. Someone to talk to. Someone to yeah. talk to, and I was just eating these Hostess fruit pies. And I found out later that it was the sugar and the lard in these things that was keeping me stabilized, and it might as well have been an IV, right? And, really. And I didn't know that, and they knew that I didn't know that, and they just. Really? So there's actually a, a bit of a science to that? Oh, to yeah. the junk food? Back in the day, back mm-hmm. in the day when when guys would go into, you know, you know, so they call it a delirium tremens, you know, and you know, you go into and you go into alcoholic detox and you start shaking and, and, and yeah, you seize and they would pour caro syrup down people's throats. Like that was like the, the wisdom of the day. It's the really? sugar, it's the glucose alcohol. Because that's how alcohol digests. That's right? how three steps into the metabolic mm-hmm. process: alcohol and sugar are indistinguishable, right? And mm-hmm. so they would pour like caro syrup or molasses or whatever down your throat, you know, because they mm. they didn't understand necessarily the science, but they knew that you know you wouldn't die if they poured a bunch of corn syrup into you, you know. Wow, and, interesting. And so yeah, so they you know, it was all the it was all the sugar and the fat in those you know sugar and the lard and. And, and all the garbage in in those fruit pies mm-hmm. that that you know basically regulated my system and allowed me to you know really suffer through a through a, a detox but not not die of it. So was drinking was drinking pretty much cold turkey? It all was. It all went. You know, the only thing I, I kept doing was smoking, and and I I, I smoked. So cocaine, alcohol all was the, all, all pretty the, much that date. Well, because they were all, because you know, everybody in this room, they were talking about being sober. They were talking about being clean, and mm-hmm. I just didn't want to get found out and thrown out. So I was, you know, uh, you know, one guy, you know, said he he drank, and I'm like, you can't you can't say that in here. You know, you, they'll they'll toss you out because I didn't I had no idea. And he was like, mm-hmm. no, they're they're cool. You just you know, you, you start your time over whatever. And, 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 uh, it was, it was just a weird thing for me. And I'm grateful that, you know, you can only hear what you can hear Mm -hmm. and you can only have the experience that you have. And I'm really grateful that I like, I didn't understand that because if I understood that if I could go drink during the day and then come back there and still receive kind treatment from people, I I probably wouldn't be sitting here today. Right. You know, I, the, the the God's honest truth is I wouldn't have survived 1999. I I would have died. I, you know. And I, now you were working. Yeah, uh, throughout was, this whole thing, so oh, you yeah. still had just enough money in your pocket to get yourself in trouble. Oh yeah, well yeah, yeah. I was you know I, you know I was drinking you know, I was spending every dime on on alcohol. Alcohol and drugs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know I mean and, and it just flows man it just flows so you know and out you know 
I mean, and alcohol was my was my big gig, man. Alcohol was my big gig, you know. And when when it was my money and my money was, you know, and I wasn't sharing, my money bought Jack Daniels. Yeah, cocaine made a, a party, you know, made made any day a party. But, you know, cocaine, you know, the, the great thing about cocaine is 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 cocaine is 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 just a, the great accelerant, you know. I probably could have kept drinking like that for another thirty years, you know. The cocaine just like. Sp- bed the end you know like i started doing cocaine and just i mean i just like catapulted to the ground like it was bad wow you know i mean you know i it was it was just such a it was such a short it 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 felt like it was just such a short time you know once i started you know getting into once i started getting into the you know the the powders and 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 the you know the psychotropics and the psychedelics, and once I started getting into that, you know, it just the end was so fast. Mm-hmm. You know, because because I just everything just accelerated at that point. So, would you say that because of the system now there was a new um, diversion in your alcoholism and your drug use is now unhealthy foods? Was that ever an issue? You know, it's it's. You see a lot of you see, foods are, are where are where people start, you know, mm-hmm. because that's comfort. When you're yeah, a kid, when you were a kid, you were saying you're a kid, you know, and it's comfort. And and as a as a, a sober guy, yeah, I still go for tacos, man. I still I still go tacos for aren't foods. unhealthy. I still go for yeah, right. Taco, tacos. <laughs> you watch your you mouth watch, there. You just watch it there, buddy. <laughs> right? Right. No, but you know, we 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 go for food, and I and I watch I watch my illness. You know, kind of mm. go backstage and and change costumes and come back out. And now it's mm. and now it's food. And now it's you know. And now it's you know you know back to because I know alcohol will kill me. So we're not we're not messing around with the we're not messing around with the beverages anymore. Right. You know, but you know you know what you like is Reese's peanut butter cups. Ah, oh, those are amazing. And you like those a lot. Yeah. You know, and right. and those are those are real easy to get. You know, to, to get way off the beam on, and so no, so you know, since since I've I, I've been sober, you know, my my weight had been had been an issue, you know, until you know until I discovered jujitsu, and then suddenly, you know, I get into jujitsu a year later, I dropped, you know, a hundred pounds and yeah. So explain that because that was to me when we first met. That's why I love this guy. Because your story was is how tall are you? how tall five, are you? Six. five six five six but five, you five, you five. you were you were pushing three hundred pounds yeah two eighty five at th- at five six yeah. that's a lot of weight for your body to be maintaining yeah. you know to pump your blood to you know do anything of any kind of athletic uh, maneuver you know on your joints your ligaments and all that but when I met you you were telling me how. You found jujitsu, right? But then you challenged yourself in a very unique way that I've never heard anyone challenge themselves. Yeah, I after I I got into jujitsu with my son. My my son and my son was four, and 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 we we, we checked out this community jujitsu class in Pasadena, and uh, so he's I threw him out on the mats with the kids, and they're doing their little they're doing their little thing, and and. You know, one of the parents comes over to me and asks me if I was going to take the adult class, and I'm like, mm, "I'm a 285 pound chain smoking chef. No, <laughs> no, I will not be taking the adult class. But thanks, you know." Uh, and so, 
you know, and, and, and then they ask, you know, so that's cool. So when he's a 15-year-old black belt and you think he should clean his room and he thinks you should piss up a rope, what exactly do you intend to do about that? Yeah, we, we, what do you have to offer? Right. And yeah. I go, okay, well, maybe one, maybe one class, you know, one class will be cool. And, and so I took a class and, and, and I got tied in a million knots. And you've heard this story one bazillion times. <laughs> right. You know, you've heard the story from everybody. You've heard the story from Joe Rogan. You've heard the story from Anthony Bourdain. You've heard the story from, from everybody, you know, from Jocko Willink. You've heard this story time and time and time again. I stepped on the mat. I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I thought that I was big. I thought that I was strong. I thought that I could outsmart these guys. And the little 140-pound guy, you know, who had, you know, probably 35 years on me, turned me into a pretzel, you know, 18 times in four minutes. There was nothing I could do to stop him. There was nothing I could do to solve the problem. There was nothing I could do. Why is this skinny little guy whipping my ass? I'll be back next week. You know, and <laughs> right. that's about it. You know, right. and and everybody tells that story. Right? Everybody right. tells that story. That that's everybody's introduction to jujitsu. You know, why did that? Why did that skinny Severely old man, undersized person? Yeah, just whoop my ass. And so what happens? My son and I made a deal, and and since he was very young, we made deals, and a deal's a deal. Right, and so he wanted the stuff. He saw the uniforms. He saw the patch. He saw the belts. He was in, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he saw the little card with his picture and his name on it. All seemed very official to him, right? And and so I said, okay, so here's the deal. We if we join this thing, we'll we'll join right now, and I'll go get you all the stuff. You know, I'll go get you all the stuff, and you know, and but if we sign up, we do this until I'm sick of it, not until you can't wake up at eight o'clock on a Saturday morning. And he agreed. So we went and got all this stuff. You know, and at this point, I, you know, I'd been sober 10 years. I'd been, I'd been, you know, married seven, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and so, okay, so off we go. And so we start, we start training jujitsu every week. And some of the guys in this class were, were training in other places during the week. They had found a bunch of spots around town that they could go train for free like one day a week. Mm-hmm. And there was this place, I, I think I even brought you to Atwater Grappling, which was in Atwater Baptist Church. Uh, it was in an attic mm-hmm. of, of a church. And I got invited and it was this crazy, um, this shark tank. It was a no-gi, although you could bring a gi, it didn't matter, but it was this shark tank, right? And and guys would show up there on Wednesday night. The The youth pastor uh, trained jujitsu, and he he had a bunch of at, at-risk kids. So he's like, I want to teach these guys boxing and jujitsu and, and get them going. And so he started this program up in the youth room, and we brought in, and they brought in mats, and they had you know, boxing equipment, they had weightlifting equipment, they had all this stuff. And this guy who knew he was a he was a student of Gokors and and uh, Rodrigo Dillig, you may even know him. Mm-hmm. Um, but so he brought in a bunch of jujitsu guys, and he knew people in Pasadena. And so there was this group that was showing up and training every every Wednesday evening, and it was no gi, and and we would have people show up. You know, eventually all you know all the church kids stopped coming, but this group of 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 guys and and some women showed up very, very consistently every single Wednesday. And there were people who would show up 
and they, you know, we had like like advanced high level black belts showing up. We had people who heard about this thing, and it was their first day, and they didn't know anything about jujitsu at all. And so you you get on the mats and you you shake hands and you go. And they just set a, a four minute round timer, mm-hmm. and you just went. You just rolled. You just rolled and rolled and rolled for four hours. You just rolled, uh, and whether it was your first day or you were you know a, a high level competitor. Like you, you rolled with the guy in front of you, and that's that's what it was. And everybody was super cool. You know, it, it became very obvious what your skill level was real quick. Mm-hmm. And you know, just everybody just kind of met each other just beyond the level of uh, your level. You know, everybody met me just beyond my level. Right. Nobody was given any gifts, but they weren't just like smashing on me. You know, making it not fun. You know, I was able to improve, so I, I began improving, and I started, and I. I looked at, at, at a tournament, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a tournament. And so my first tournament, I'm still a big guy. And and uh, so I joined this tournament, and my, my competitor's like over 300 pounds, six feet, because I'm up in a big, I'm up in a big, you know, open. Big boy bracket. Open weight division. Mm-hmm. And I'm like staring up at this this dude, and, and we go, and six minutes later, I got a, I got a ref holding my hand in the air, and, 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 I, and I loved it. Uh Oh, and so you won your first match? I won my first tournament. Yeah. Oh, wow. I won my okay. First match. And and that's where that's where like like the drive kind of kicked in. Mm-hmm. And so I liked competing. I really I really enjoyed competing. And and so I started I started to be. I had to, so I, I signed up for another tournament like immediately. And it had a question on it. Uh, it had you know spaces on the on the 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 thing to fill out. Uh, academy and rank. I'm like, oh, I suppose I need. I suppose I need an academy and I suppose I need a rank, you know, uh, because this was, I was taking Japanese jujitsu. I was taking Aki jujitsu at Villa mm-hmm. Park in Pasadena. It was just a little community program. It wasn't a, it wasn't anything, right? you know, it wasn't even Brazilian jujitsu. The guy who was teaching it just loved the ground game. So he focused on that. Okay. You know, and so I was training with these other guys and then I went over to M3 fight and fitness in Montrose. Okay. And so I started competing really, really, really heavily. And what I did is I I entered a bunch of tournaments and over the course of a year I entered tournaments at a lower weight bracket every single tournament um, and paid for it. I just paid, you know, I just I paid the money and for like and the the deal because a deal is a deal. The deal I made with myself is if you don't make weight, you don't compete. Like you don't get to change your weight brackets. You don't get to like keep an eye on the deadline if you don't make weight you don't compete and and I wasn't going to train this hard and work this hard to not compete and so I just kept dropping weight losing brackets weight. losing weight brackets and you know I got down to you know 1 176 you know I was wow you know I was smooth middleweight at at Gracie Nationals that year wow and then that's by t- that's when we ran into that's each other that's when we ran into each okay. other I met Kurt and he told me about Warriors Club for whatever reason. You mm. weren't there that day. You were watching somebody else compete. You were doing something else. Mm. And they invited me to Warriors Club over in Burbank. Mm. And I showed up and, and we got introduced. And and, uh, and I smashed all your guys. <laughs> right, right. You, um, you, know, you know, Kirk still runs like an open mat at his garage. And Does stuff he? Like that. Yeah, oh, yeah. I love that guy. I know. I need to make it over there. Yeah, so I... 
in 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 my recovery process, I began working with drug addicts and alcoholics, and 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 really fell in love with doing it and watching watching the light come on in people's eyes and and watching like lives get rebuilt. And and I've been doing, you know, uh, you know, coaching in that in that arena for you know for a long time now. And and it's something that I got into jujitsu and I started coaching teams in tournaments because you know I, like. Like Dave's gonna be, you know, Dave's gonna be at the tournament. Mm-hmm. You know, hey Dave, can you coach the white belts? Hey, you know, sure, no problem. You know, mm-hmm. you know, and I would, I would organize the teams to go out, and I would, I would do whatever. Uh, you know, my, you know, you know, Danny Vaughn would come out and coach, and and every tournament, all the big ones, every little chicken shit tournament. You know, you were at, uh, you know, the higher grounds. You know, where, where my son uh, compete. Was that his first one? That was his first tournament. That was right his on. first tournament, and. Uh, and uh, no, it was, it was great. So, yeah, and so I I ended up just losing a ton of weight through through jujitsu, through uh, you know just controlled diet, and and I was getting a lot of exercise and and uh, now in in this new realm that you exist in with right. with uh, coaching counseling, you were saying that you really draw a lot of it from coaching the guys in jujitsu at tournaments, you know, instructing them, telling them where to go kind of thing, giving them pointers. And you've been able to translate that into your life or mix in your life experiences of hitting rock bottom and now guiding folks that maybe you see are walking down the same path and you have a knack for it. At what point did you step out on faith and leave this world that man you you've been a part of since you were a kid as far as you know busing cooking food right that's definitely stepping out of a comfort zone you would think right um so how how have you been able to navigate that whole transition and what what is it that you do what what are you about i am a i am a life coach i'm a a transformation and empowerment coach um through through years of uh, working with drug addicts and alcoholics uh, in in twelve step recovery, uh, I have I've worked with with a lot of I've looked, worked with a lot of men and women. I've spent a lot of time uh, helping men and women uh, rebuild uh, rebuild lives, reinvent themselves, and 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 remake their lives. I've been doing I've been doing it for a long time. You know, in in the the realm of recovery. As I got into jujitsu, uh, uh, later I got into tough mudders and Spartan races and obstacle course racing, and and, and I, I really I really love that. And and what I found is that is that you know ground level service to other human beings was was what I was put on this, was earth to do. Um, my experience in high end kitchens, my experience in in high level kitchens. Has allowed me to to really understand what it is to perform at a high level, to really understand what it is to maintain a very very high level performance. Um, my own athletic journey has taught me a lot about discipline, a lot about perseverance, a lot about uh, tenacity, and I've been able to take all of that, including you know creating systems for success uh, and. And developing, developing a lot of my my own sort of beliefs around uh, how to create success and how to create a really 
amazing transformation in, in people's lives. Um, I have a lot of really uh, great tools that I've learned from mentors over the years. I've had coaches uh, over the years. Look, everybody performing at an elite level has a coach. Everybody. Athletes, musicians, actors, singers, politicians, businessmen. You know, everybody has a coach, okay? A coach is just someone who is absolutely, who knows you, who is on board with the mission, who is on board with the vision, uh, who actually believes in you more than you do, and is 100% willing to hurt your feelings <laughs> to help you achieve the goal that you said was your goal, right? A coach, I'm not a therapist. I'm not, I'm not anything. I, you know, I don't psychoanalyze anybody. Mm-hmm. We talk about where you are, where you want to be. We reverse engineer where you want to be. We create waypoints and, 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 and goal points, measurable uh, points along the way. And I hold people accountable for doing the things that they say they want to do. In that process, I incorporate uh, some spiritual discipline, some um, some spiritual some spiritual practice, uh, and and not religious. I, I really don't care what you believe. What you believe is irrelevant to me. Uh, I'm not a I'm I'm not a I'm not a religious guy. Uh, I'm a spiritual guy. But if you take any life at all and you add daily inquiry you know uh you know a daily practice of looking at your previous day planning your day taking a a good look at 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 who you are today where you're going today what you want today um you add some meditation you add journaling you add prayer if you do nothing else but that your life is fixing to get taken to a new level period you add spiritual discipline to your life, you're going to get taken to a new place, regardless of whether you know you work with me as a coach or anybody else. Um, and what I've been able to do, and it's it, it's been it's been really amazing. Uh, in 2016, I decided that I wanted to coach full time. After having you know, I've been I've been coaching non professionally for a long time. Then I got into professional coaching and really, really loved it. In 2016, I decided that I was going to make the transition. It was big. It was scary. I hired a coach, built a website, built a business, you know, did did all of that. And June 15th of 2017 was my last day of a 30-year culinary career, you know. And I am coaching full-time. Uh, you, you know, I have a a pretty good social media presence right now. I absolutely love it. It is absolutely what I was put on this earth to do. And everything that I experienced, uh, both the glory and the pain, everything that I have experienced up to this moment makes me good at what I do, uh, makes me understanding, makes me compassionate, and, and allows me to understand that we're all coming from where we're coming from. And once, once we can see that, once I can see that if I don't believe that absolutely everybody is doing the best they can with what they have in this moment, then I am not doing the best I can with what I have in this moment. You know, and to be able to meet people just like Atwater uh, Grappling, if 
I can meet people where they are and be a guide for them and be a mentor for them to get there where they want to be, regardless of I want to I want to increase my earning capacity, I want to have a better relationship with my wife, I want to. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better cook. I want to be a better jujitsu competitor. Whatever it is that is, whatever it is your goal is, uh, I, I I want to change careers. I'm, I'm I'm miserable in my marriage. I I want, you know, I want to make five times what what I make right now. Done. No problem. Let's talk about it. Uh, we reverse engineer that. We reverse engineer your goals. Set up. Uh, waypoints and measurable points along the way mm. and then hold you accountable for doing what is required to do that. You can have literally anything you want. Now, some of these activities that you do, in fact, this is why I feel I'm in, endeared towards you is because there is a lot of action in your life. I mean, in the window that I've known you, which is, and we're going on, I think, around five years now, yeah. roughly. But uh, it's been filled with action on your end. You know, the, the way you sign up for the jujitsu tournaments, I'm going to sign up one weight division lower. That's, that's aggressive. I love, I love things like that. People of action resonate with me. Um, probably to a fault because sometimes I'm a leap first, look later kind of guy. Sometimes it gets gets my ass into a little bit of trouble from time to time, but it's all in the vein of let's go. Let's just get it done. If we, if we don't have it all figured out, let's figure it out along the way kind of thing. And, um, you know, again, it bites me in the ass, but that's one thing I've always respected about you. And then uh, one of the things that you kind of start on your own, and I don't know if you use this as one of the coaching tools, is Dawn Patrol. Oh, right. Dawn Patrol. I, I love that. You're up early in the morning, Saturday mornings, up before the sun wakes up. Just uh, we'll meet at the top of the lake, mm-hmm. and then we take that hike up. And that's where I remember both of us had the discussion of you embarking on your new life coach uh, um, profession. Right. Me talking about this podcast. It was, in essence, not necessarily born, but vetted through those Dawn Patrol sessions. I remember that was great. To where it's, man, you're up in the morning again, you know, before the sun, we get that five mile hike in. Uh, it's about five miles, yeah? Yeah, it's 5.8, uh, car door to car door. Yeah. 1500 feet of elevation gain you know it's a it's a gnarly little hike it's a little ass kicker of a hike and it's it's great to do and i've incorporated uh some meditation up at the top you know when i you know when i when i do it these days you know i always i always do a meditation at the top and i live stream a, a meditation from the top of that from the top of that hill mm-hmm. now do you do you take some of the people that you've uh, accepted to work with under your wing, do they join you for Dawn Patrol or it's not necessarily fit in for people's schedule or? No, you know what? Uh, it's, it's an open, it's an open invitation. You right. know, anybody, anybody's welcome. As a matter of fact, uh, a couple of weeks ago, one of my clients, I mean, most of my clients are, most of my clients are in the continental United States, but I have clients in, in, uh, New Zealand, I have clients all over the world mm-hmm. because we meet in the online space. I use, uh, we, we, we teleconference, we video conference, which means I can have, you know, I have, you know, I have clients all over the world. And one of my clients was out here uh, a few weeks ago and she ended up doing, she ended up doing the hike with me. Oh, she did Dawn Patrol. She did the Dawn Patrol. <laughs> and it was, it was tough for her. It was really, really tough. And, and she went back home and, and, you know, and she told her physical therapist and she told her naturopath that, that she did this, 
she did this hike with me and they were both blown away. So yeah, I, I, it's something I do. Uh, it's, it's at the top of Lake in Pasadena. It's, it's uh, the Sam Merrill Trailhead, uh, where we're going to Echo Mountain. Uh, we start at 6 a.m. And, uh, and I do it as often as I am in town. Right. And the good thing about that is by the time we're done, because we, we get out there at a pretty good clip. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're up, we're down. And uh, by the time we're done, you know, people are just waking up. People are just getting their weekend started. Meanwhile, we, we got in our, our work. And that's always a cool thing. But then Sunday mornings, it doesn't mm-hmm. end there. Sunday mornings, you have a different version of Dawn Patrol where you have a meeting with Big Blue. Right. And you introduce, uh, you have uh, Big Blue speak to the masses, which I get a kick out of, you know, tuning into uh, myself on your social media feed. It's the best. I go out to, uh, every morning by 7.30 in the morning, I'm out on, out on the beach uh, in Venice. Uh, and I, I've, it's, it's been something I've been doing for a long, long time. And I, I started, I started live streaming it. Wow, it's been been almost a year now uh, that I've started live streaming it. And really, and it's only it seems like it's been longer than that that uh, you've been streaming those. Or is it pretty much a commitment to do it consistently? Yeah, no, it's but it's it's been I've been doing I've been I've been doing my my daily broadcast for just over a year now, for just over for just over a year, and I started the Dawn Patrol a little bit later. Um, and you know, I go out and I, I, I walk into the ocean and I meditate, uh, and, and rain or shine, uh, at about 8 AM, uh, on Sunday mornings, I go walking into the ocean and I meditate and it's clean. Some mornings it's cold and awful and dreadful and <clears throat> meditation has been a real game changer for me. Meditation has been, has, has, has made a huge difference and when you have to overcome physical discomfort in order to meditate, uh, the effect is pretty significant. Uh, the effect is pretty powerful. What you get is a, is a different type of experience than if you sit in your living room, um, you know, and, and you know, cross your legs and close your eyes. It's, it's, a different, it's, it's a different experience. It is a very, very powerful experience when you walk into something as powerful as the Pacific Ocean um, which is big blue, by which the way. is big blue. That's, yeah. that's big blue. That's, that's the, 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 the big Pacific ocean. That's, you know, the, you know, you want to, you want to have a conversation about God. That's what I'm talking about. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about whatever, you know, whatever that, 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 that big deal is, man, that is a, that is a, a, a powerful body of water. And, and, you know, it's certainly, it's certainly more powerful than me. And man, that's, that's a great point. I mean, if you really just step into that that arena and you think about it you you know there you are on the edge of the land where the land meets ocean mm-hmm. and yeah just standing in it and you contemplate what that ocean represents and it's like holy hell this thing could just swallow us all up you know we're, right. we're it's almost like we're one natural catastrophe away from this ocean could swallow us up and it has i mean right. civilizations whatever but it's just what it represents the powerful ocean and what we are to that and to really I guess put your however big you feel you are put in a perspective of what the, your problems are and your goals and how you choose to pursue them it, it's really a um, I guess a nice reset 
you it's know, great. If, if gone about correctly or correctly, what's what's correct, but if gone about with a, a sense of purpose. Yeah, with, with intent. intent, with intent, and intent is everything, you know, yeah. No, I mean that, you know, our, our you know, human history has shown us that, that, that every, absolutely every time somebody does battle with the Pacific Ocean, they lose. Yeah, they lose. <laughs> you, you don't, Nature's undefeated. You do not, you do not win. Yeah, you do not win against nature. And you want to go up against something like Big Blue, you're going to lose every single time. And yeah. you don't have to fight it. You know, you get to walk in and you can, and you can connect you know, and, and just like the stars and just like, you know, you know, whatever, whatever religious beliefs you have, you have the opportunity to connect without doing battle, you know, and, and you have the opportunity to, to, to really connect. And that's what humans, we as humans really, really need. It's what we crave. It's, you know, it's, it's that connection. It's what you and I found, you know, the, the first time we met and we, we were able to connect, you know, we were able to connect through a friend, and then we were able to connect on the level of jujitsu, and we were able to connect on the on the level of of taking like really bold, kind of savage action. You know, uh, really, you know, really strong leaps. We were able to connect on on you know like level after level after level after level, and 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 our friendship's been real important to me. You know, I got to I got to watch you get your black belt, and and, and I got to you know be there for a, a lot of that cool stuff, and and you know see you you know open up. You know, you know, Warriors Club and in its new location, it's been it's been very cool. But well, but humans need connection, right? And and through that connection, what's kind of been cool that is just dawning on me right now. Here we are sitting here, holding each other accountable for those conversations of Dawn Patrol. Right. It's like here's conversations with cool people, and here you are deep into your your coaching mm-hmm. now. It's like here we are. We we we've done it. I mean, there's still so many. it's not like we're living the great life, but we are living a great life for sure. And um, but we've held our we're holding ourselves accountable, and here we are. You know, doing and, it. And this is where and this is where having someone in your life who's familiar with the vision, who's familiar with the mission, who and 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 understands you at a at a pretty good level. You know, someone you're willing to be honest with you know, is, is, is absolutely invaluable. And, and, you know, just like my clients make, make those, make that financial investment, you've made an investment in yourself, you've made an investment in me, you know, through showing up at, you know, I, I tell everybody the toughest part of that hike is, you know, getting out of bed at 5am on a Saturday. Man. True story. That is the toughest part of that whole hike. Yeah. You know, that's a tough hike. But, but the toughest part of that hike is getting out of bed at 5am on a Saturday when you don't, have to because you don't right you do it because you want to so dave i need i need some coaching in my life there are some goals i want to accomplish what can i expect to bring you on board on on team jubo nice here and how how does that journey look like what does it look like working with you what it looks like is is you get a hold of me through email through social media through you know my my cell phone i think is on my is on my facebook page call me um what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna shoot you a link to my scheduler Uh, google knows my schedule way way better than i do the reason 
that I got out of kitchens, the reason I got out of things was so that I could have a life that I wanted to live. And, and I spent a lot of time, you know, surfing and eating tacos and having conversations with cool people. And, and like, this is what I do. This is my life. I'm not slogging it out on a line, you know, 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week, 50 weeks a year. That's not the life I wanted anymore. So I'll send you a link to my scheduler and, and you're going you're gonna to book a phone call and we're going to call and we're going to talk anywhere from, from 45 minutes to 90 minutes and I really don't care and the call is free. You know? And we're going to talk about who you are, what you're talking about, what your, what your goals are, what your level of commitment is, why you want to achieve these goals because if your why isn't in place, then your goals are, are pointless. You know, and if your if your why is 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 you know um, is is not in alignment, you know, it, then I can't help you. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a conversation. And and right now I I have two different I have two different offerings. That uh, I have a three month program and a six month program. We meet once a week uh, on generally on Zoom, uh, which is a it's like Skype only it's a little bit more stable. It's a, it's a great platform. I meet people all over the world on it. It's recordable. You know, it, it works good. So you have a copy of the sessions. And we, we meet for either three months or six months. I'll make a recommendation. You can choose either one you want. Um, and we meet the first three weeks of every month. You know, the reason we only meet the first three weeks of every month and not every month and not every week is because of a, of a burnout factor, first off. You know, you stop listening to me, I stop listening to you. Now we're just talking about the same thing over and over again, week after week. Nobody's listening, but nobody's growing. Okay. The other reason is exactly what I said. I take the last week of every month off. That's the life that I want to live. That is the life that, that I get to live because that is the life that I have designed for myself. That is the life that I have set up for myself and it's, and it's the proof of concept that you can too, that your life can look any way you want it to look. You can make whatever amount of money you want to make. Your life can look any way you want it to look. All you got to do is build it. Mm -hmm. That's it. If you believe it, it can happen. It can, it can be built. It can be reverse engineered. And I've seen the craziest shit happen. Like... I've seen, I've seen, you know, humans come straight out of rehab uh, within the first, you know, three, four months of sobriety, decide they're going to be doctors and then go do that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I mean, this was, you know, you know, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, a month ago, this was a junkie coming out of a rehab going, yeah, I think I'm going to be a doctor. And then I've watched them. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, you've lived the life yourself. That's the point is, is I know, I know that anything can happen. I know that it doesn't matter where you start. It doesn't matter. Uh, it, it doesn't matter where you start and it doesn't matter where you want to go. Okay. Those things are irrelevant. You know, come up with your why. Why do you want these things? You know, I, I want to be of service to other humans. I want to serve powerfully. I want to see other people become the people that they want to be. I want to see people step into their own power and become the humans that they were born to be. That's my why. It drives me every single day. That's what I want. And the people who work with me are committed to that. 
They are committed. They are enrolled. They are committed in their own vision. And I'm and and I'm committed to them, you know, but but it, it takes work. It's you know, you don't you don't show up on these calls and it's a pleasant conversation once a week and then your life improves. If you are willing to put in the work that is required, if you are willing to be coached, if you are willing to be teachable and do the work, because just like jujitsu, you will never get the benefits of the work that you didn't do. You will never reap the rewards from the work that you didn't do. If you want it, you do the work. If you do the work, you get the stuff. It always works that way. Yeah. It never works any other way. Yeah, you know, and there is a saying in uh, jujitsu that uh, the mats don't lie, and uh, right. that it communicates that right there. You you have to put in the work, and if you're getting mopped up, it doesn't matter if you've been coming for five years. It's like something the mats are going to tell you where you're lacking. Yeah, you may be a part of that academy for five years, but. What kind of work are you putting in when you show up to the mats? You know, there's because after five years, there's no reason why you should continually being uh, given your ass in right. each training session. It's going to tell on you. Right? You know, are you so. are you chatting during drilling? Right. Are you are you drilling diligently? Are you drilling fast or are you drilling slow and deliberate? Are, where's your intent? Right. And the the big thing that I always say and and. If you know anything about me, you know this is coming. Clarity is everything. And we're going to talk about clarity. We're going to ask, you know, I'm going to ask you where you are right now. I'm going to ask some very pointed questions about the practices in your life. If what you want to do is get better at jujitsu, I'm going to ask you some very pointed questions about the way you practice, about the intent that you set when you walk through the door, about the way you tie your belt, about the way you bow onto the mat, and about the way you do absolutely every piece of your practice from the minute you walk in the door to the minute you walk out. And if every piece isn't done within, with intent, well, then you, you didn't do it all the way. Wasted out. motion. Yeah. So Google Scheduler is your best friend. That's how I... Google that's how Scheduler I, is indeed my best friend. <laughs> Be, because that I, I don't pay attention to my schedule. Right. I really don't. I wake up in the morning and, and after, I, after I go to the gym and after mm. I do my meditation, I do my writing, I connect with the humans that, that I like to connect with in the morning, then I, I, I open up my phone, I swipe over to my schedule, and I'm like, okay, well, this is what we're doing today. And if there's nothing there, then I go surfing. Wow. That's a good life. That's a great life. That's a great life. And you were telling me before we got started, your schedule is pretty packed. So what, where are some of the places you're going to be and how can people get a hold of you? Like you can find me uh, most easily. You can find me on Facebook. Mm -hmm. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me at www.become-limitless. Uh, Become hyphen limitless.com there's a link to my scheduler i have a and they can find all of your social media outlets through that website through that website okay. uh you can find and you can find the website through my social media okay. i do uh between 9 and 11 live broadcasts a week uh to dawn patrol i do the daily diesel lives i do i have a, a group of of three guys uh we call ourselves beyond the storm it's just 
It's it's fathers and husbands and entrepreneurs just talking about like like modern masculinity, like what it looks like to be a, a, a husband and a father and an entrepreneur in today's world. So uh, are, you, are you just there for the men of today or you take on all comers? I take on men and women. And mm-hmm. initially uh, I started out with I was I was a men's coach uh, and I I got a lot of attention from women. And I had a few women uh, really challenge me. And they go, look, I know you're a men's coach. You're going to coach me. And like, I ended up having to go to my female, female mentors about it. I ended up you know, going, look, I've, I've set up this whole thing. I'm a men's coach. My identity is a men's coach. That's what I do. And, and, and I have a, 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 this amazing female mentor. Um, and, and she just looked at me and, and she's like, who, who told you you got to decide? Who told you that you got to choose? Did somebody say that? Did that somebody, you're a men's coach? Yeah. You know, the, the, did somebody say that, that that you got to choose like where your message resonated? Like with whom your message uh, was heard? Like where it landed? Did somebody tell you that you got to choose that? And, uh, and man, it hit me like a ton of bricks. <laughs> you know, and she goes, you, you will coach where you're needed you will go where you're needed you will and and you will coach the people who resonate with with you you will coach the people who are in alignment with with your message because if they're not in alignment with your message they're not coming to you right 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 there's no competition in this space <laughs> right if you don't like what i have to say then you're not going to come to me if you love what i have to say then nobody else is going to work for you so men women Boys, girls of all ages. Um, yep. What is it? www.become-limitless. Become-limitless.com. I mean, you can you can uh, Google become limitless life coaching. I come up. Okay. Um, and you know you can you can you know go to Facebook Dave Gieselman, uh, uh, become underscore limitless on Instagram. I think it's the same on on. Or no, Dave G underscore Limitless uh, on Instagram and Twitter, and y- yeah, you catch me on my on my my live streams. As a matter of fact, this week I have a very very special guest. I have uh, for my live from the Hive special interview show. I have um, from Warriors Club and Jiu Jitsu Magazine. I have Jim Lawson uh, talking about what it looks like to be a uh, to be a, a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt in Los Angeles these days. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a twisted world. It's a twisted world. <laughs> it's, it's a twisted world. It's a it's a lot of fun, and, and you know right. you have a you have a great story, and and it'll be it'll be a lot of fun to have you. on. Cool. Well, I look forward to it. And people, that's uh, Dave Gieselman. Even though we call him Diesel, so don't get it confused with Diesel. That's just his nickname that we affectionately call him. All right, Diesel. It was good. Great. Cool. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Love you, brother.